0: Good morning and welcome to the 75th episode of Mayan Mondays. Today we have part one of two episodes by memoirist, poet, and essayist Rebecca Evans, whose new book, Tangled by Blood, was just released by Moontide Press. Evans's work reflects, among many things, fractured relationships. This fracturing influences every subsequent relationship, carrying scars and wounds throughout one's life. Evans weaves disability, domestic violence, and a fight for survival throughout her narratives, hoping to start conversations, create awareness, compassion, and tolerance. In addition to writing, she teaches creative nonfiction at Boise State University and mentors high school girls in the juvenile system. In her spare time, she co-hosts a radio program, Writer to Writer, offering a space for writers to offer tips on craft and life. Her poems and essays have appeared in Narratively, The Rumpus, Entropy Literary Magazine, War, Literature and the Arts, The Limberlost Review, and a handful of anthologies. And she's co-edited an anthology of poems, When There Are Nine, a tribute to the life and achievements of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, also from Moontide Press. Her piece today is titled My Way of Becoming Whole, which is a reading and exploration of her memoir in verse, Tangled by Blood.
1: I'm Rebecca Evans, and I'll be reading from my memoir in verse Tangled by Blood. And this project is not quite a memoir. It is a full poetry collection, but it's also a narrative. And it follows the narrative arc from childhood sexual violence into the art of healing, becoming a mother, and truly finding some peace within oneself. So, The poems are not for the weak of heart, and I do want to offer a trigger warning that they do contain sexual childhood violence, but they are not graphic in nature, but do take care of yourself. And I'll start off, um, and I'll talk a little bit between these poems, but I'll start off with a poem towards the end of the book, where it's a little bit nicer, and this poem is entitled, At the End of My Shrinking. In the end was the unless buffet, and the buffet was crowded. In the end, I was crowded. In the end, I was empty and small, holding my child stories when I wore garanimals. And later, I turned to fashion, crowded my closet, crowded my drawers, crowded my mind and my time and my planner and my dinner plate. I went back for thirds and fifths, more than the other larger diners. I stayed small, grew smaller, and breastless, and amenorrheic, purging every morsel up and out. I grew up, and I knew that I was too small, too silent with the boys because I was taught so well by the father who crowded my bed at night, crowded each crevice with his madness, crowded my heart in cloud and storm. I knew the difficulty of loving, mostly myself. And so I shrank and shrank and shrank, like those shrinky dinks you bake in the oven until they turn hard and half their size. I tornadoed through that oven door, wore the latest trousers, packed the popular tote, used fashion to hide my thinness, used fashion to hide, and that was the end. The end of crowds and buffets and perfectly matched geranimal outfits selected by some adult who thought color coding clothes a good idea, but it prevented the child from choice and selection, from her own style and voice. And that was the end. I am not my dinner plate, or the size beneath draped dungerees or form-fitting gowns or spandex. Now, at the end, At the end of my shrinking, I am a buffet. I am the latest fashion. I am my child's story. I am thinness and thickness. I am granimal. I am. And I want to move to another poem, and I'm going to switch voices here, because throughout this manuscript, the perspective changes or the point of view changes, and we switch from me as me the narrator or speaker to a younger me to the voice of my mother and to the voice of my adopted sister Tina who continuously tried to protect me throughout our childhood. So this next poem is in the voice of my mother and all of these voices are in conversation with each other which is a reminder for us to stay in conversation about this topic. So this poem is entitled, Talking About Me in Front of Me in the Voice of Mother. She's such a big will, too much for her own good, really. She's fine. Just look how she bites her nails to the core, see? Nervous little twit, her twitches, one of many. Now, Becky, tell the nice doctor the real story. You need to tell the truth. She invents these fantasies. Her way, her way to gather attention, see? Like this hospital stay. Honestly, I'm sure she's doing it already. With schoolboys. I know, yes. Yes, she's old enough. She's nine, Okay, so let's move to something softer and into motherhood. And this is really a gentle poem, a moment in time when me and my youngest son were throwing stones along the Boise River. And it's entitled, The Wildlife Protection Plan. I tossed a rock with my son. It broke through the face of shallow lake, sinking, hide and seeking, behind bold cattails, breathing stark rays. Someone once told me submerging could cleanse me, offer new starts, if only I believed. And oh, I did. I believed. But water never worked that way for me. It rinsed me out washed me over, eroded bone and breath, one ripple pulsing into two, then three, then many, waves crashing, swelling my belly. Want to skip those stones, my boy asks. I do. Oh, I really do. But I don't know how to skip anything. Certain, I'll scatter like pebbles lining the ocean floor a mottled, mollard paddles through, her brown, speckled plumage breaking mirrored surface, her babies tugging to keep her steady pace. Wait, my son grips my wrist. We don't want to hurt her. No, I say, and I mean it. Oh, how I mean it. So in the center... Of this book is a six part poem. I really think of it as the spine of the book. And these six parts are all in the voice of my adopted sister, Tina. And initially, when I wrote this poem, it started off really as a short story. And I wrote it in a third person perspective, but I was very distant from the work. And then I tried to write this from the perspective of the walls in our childhood bedroom. And that wasn't working out very well for me either. I kept trying to find my way into this narrative, this story, which was really painful, really difficult writing and healing as I was writing. And so eventually, I started writing it through what I thought might be Tina's perspective. And in that way, I could tell the story but I also found that by turning it into a poem, it gave me the language and beauty of language to really enter the story. So this is part four of I wanted to be your wall in the voice of Tina. Do you remember when I filled the bathtub cup with lukewarm water and washed your whitewashed hair? You said my caramel strands reminded you of silk toffee. I'd shield your eyes with the edge of my hand. It seemed we lived on the edge of it all, those simple, lone moments. The only moments I could protect you, cover your eyes, keep you safe from the sting of soap. And then I'm going to read a poem. This is a little longer prose poem. And since I write both um, essays and poems, I'm a memoirist and an essayist and a poet, a lot of my poems tend to be longer. Um, So this probably falls into that category. But this poem comes back later in the book. And again, the poems are in conversation with each other. So I do have, throughout the manuscript, there's a couple golden shovels, which is where you take the last stanza or couple stanzas of a poem and you use the words to form um, the last word of the end line of another poem. And so if you read down the right side of another poem, you'd read the other last stanzas from a different poem in the book. Uh, Typically, poets will do um, or perform a golden shovel on a poet that they really revere or admire. But I wanted to do a golden shovel of some of my own poetry in this book because of the way childhood sexual trauma returns in a different form, how it lingers and stays with the victim and interrupts other relationships in their life. So this poem, Mostly Garlic and Cilantro, is a prose poem, but it does come back later. And this poem is towards the end of the book, again, where it's a little nicer. I quit smoking. I started chocolate. I quit hot sauce but added tiger balm to my neck at night. I quit weighing myself and purchased a scale for the puppy litter and another to measure my anxiety. I quit counting calories and carbs. I counted the number of friends still circling once I turned wilty and wise. I quit turning over a new leaf and decided old leaves can be ironed between waxed sheets along with shaven bits of crayons preserving autumnal beauty. I never quit coloring but I quit shadowing my lids. I kept my reds of worth satin lipstick. I wore it while I wrote believing my words improved with a respected L'Oreal glossed across my mouth. I kept my bamboo sheets, aloe socks, my hot tub beneath the Idaho star dripping sky. I wanted to smoke because I wanted a habit that felt normal, wanted the taste of something other than bile on my tongue. I quit swiping my pits with aluminum laden deodorant. I started noticing my aroma, mostly garlic and cilantro. Not unpleasant. But who wants to smell like a main course, first thing? I quit consuming chemicals through my skin, within my food, in the news. I started collecting volunteer marigolds, rebirthing them near companion plants so maybe a community could be cultured, one that deters aphids and slugs. Okay, I never was a smoker, not a real one, but I tried. One time, under the influence of angel envy, I smoked someone else's pack, flicked the ashes on a fake gas flame. I framed my beds with sprouted garlic and enticed predators, praying mantises and ladybugs to prey on the unintimidated creatures. I invited the pollinators, the honeys, the bumbles, the hummingbirds, and purposely deposited milkweeds, seducing the monarchs. I kept my hair long, told myself I looked either a mermaid or a crone. I kept my wardrobe and color-coded methods, organizing scarves and the tone of poetry and spices, and yes, sometimes men. I embraced mid-fifty invisibility. There's magic in remaining unseen and resentment once you understand you're unheard or silenced or worse. Though, what's worse? I quit praying for myself and started kneeling for the dead, the departed, the brokenhearted. I spilled my ink on square pages and gave spare change to Zadeka and lit extra candles and incense cinnamon with sage and cloves. I added cloves to coffee. I added more honey to bagels and oatmeal and chai and bruises and scabs and marigold petals. I quit trying to smoke. And then I want to read um, another piece from the voice of Tina. And this will be part six of the six-part poem, I Wanted to Be Your Wall. In our aftertime, I'd wrap you, sweet baby sister, curve you in my arms, wait till your heart slowed and your eyes slid low, then I'd sing, You tell me my breath reminded you of buttercorn, and I pray my essence stay and linger with you. And then I thought I'd end on circling back around to mostly garlic and cilantro. And what I tried to do later in the book, like I said, was create conversations between the poems, not just switching. POVs and different voices that could offer perspective and conversation, but also the poems evolving and in conversation with themselves. So when mostly Young, mostly garlic and cilantro come back, um, it is now an erasure poem, which I think happens to us, we begin maybe erasing some of those memories, filling back holes within ourselves that were left um, as we begin healing. So this is Mostly Garlic and Cilantro, part two as an erasure. I started weighing the puppy litter to measure my friends. I turned wise. I decided bits of beauty, color, my worth. I wore my words with respect. I kept my star. I wanted the taste of something pleasant in my skin, in the news. Okay, I never was angel. I invited myself and poetry and magic in. I kneel for the broken. I lit candles and clothes. I added honey to bruises and petals. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next Monday. Tune in.